McFarland, you and everything in good shape. Okay, all right, we're back on the record, and our, our second case on the docket today is Sam's Commercial Properties versus the town of Mooresville. I see that both counsel are here and present. Are there any preliminary matters to come before the court? Okay, hearing none, then we will hear from the appellate. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you very much. Uh, my name is Craig Justice. I'm with the Buncombe County Bar here on behalf of the petitioner appellant, Sam's Commercial Properties. I would like to reserve five minutes in rebuttal if possible. All right. Uh, did you drive in this morning or last night, Mr. Justice? I, I came last night. I have an excuse. My daughter's here at NC State. Uh, so I'm a Tar Heel, but I, I am now a Wolfpack as well. <laughs> Divided loyalty, as they say, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, we're glad. Uh, I think you... Um, you might be escaping some of the uh, air pollution that's coming our way from the north too. And that I understand Asheville's having some impacts of that. Well, uh, we're having a lot of impacts of various varieties, um, uh, but I'm not aware of the air pollution thing, but hopefully it'll dissipate by the time I get there. Great. But thank you. Thank you. Um, this is an appeal from the trial court's decision to affirm a lower zoning board's order denying my client, Sam's Commercial Properties, a permit to install a digital billboard. I'll take a little bit of time to go over what I believe are undisputed uh, material facts in this case. My client applied with the town in early 2021 for a zoning permit to erect this billboard. The location in question is uh, off of Highway 150, which is a major road corridor in the town that runs off of Interstate 77. It's a highly commercialized area with big box stores and the typical uh, commercial corridor. In February of that year, the allocation was denied by the zoning administrator. The only written notice of a determination in the record is found on page, uh, record page 18, which I've included here on the screen. In that determination, the planning director relies on only one provision of the code for this denial. The provision of the code is there on the easel, sort of the traditional way of displaying things. Uh, on the left was the language in effect at the time of our application. It specifically dealt with off-premise commercial advertising signs, uh, AKA billboards. The determination made by the planning director was that billboards were generally permit, uh, prohibited and that the exception there for FAP signs didn't fit this case. The planning director decided that, uh, that the only signs that fit under that exception were NCDOT install signs uh, or existing billboards that predated the ordinance. We appealed that decision uh, timely to the Zoning Board of Adjustment. Meanwhile, my client, soon thereafter in May of 2021, this is a document on record page 63, uh, submitted additional information to the zoning administrator to update the application. As you will see from this communication, in May of 2021, the zoning administrator rejected the new information or supplemental information and said, because you have an appeal pending, we're not gonna accept uh, any new information from you unless you withdraw your appeal, which effectively means uh, that you have to give up on the determination we have already made that uh, this billboard would be prohibited because we're not going to take any new information. Uh, 
This is in May of 2021. If you will notice in that communication, there is no mention of an application being deemed incomplete or any issue that would suggest there's an additional grounds for denying my client's permit. At the same time that my client was rebuffed to provide additional information, the town was behind the scenes changing the ordinance. This is a staff report that's in the record on page 51 where the town was going to delete this exemption that's in their code because as the town uh, admits or the director admits to the planning board, this is confusing language, this sign exemption. Again, my client was not aware of the change. And then ultimately this change went to the board of commissioners in July where this quote unquote confusing language of this exemption that you see up here on this easel was in fact deleted. In August, so the next month, my client appears in front of the Zoning Board of Adjustment challenging the denial. The staff report from the planning director says my client's permit application was denied. Uh, and, but this is an issue where now my, um, the town has been taking the position that my client somehow didn't submit an application, which is odd. Um, but yet, both the pleadings and in the, uh, the staff report, it's clear that my client, the right property owner, applied for a permit to erect a sign. So are you, are you claiming that um, whether or not the change was valid, even if it was, you're still entitled to have your application reviewed and determined under the ordinance prior to the change? Based on statutory preemption in the permit choice law, 143-755, yes, we would be protected. Now, I'm saying to you that throughout these proceedings, you can certainly infer this aha, gotcha moment of uh, where the town is now saying, well, your application's not complete. Therefore, we wouldn't be entitled to the protections of the statute. But we believe we had submitted an application. That application was denied on the merits, not because of some procedural incompleteness. And when the issue came up at the zoning board that, oh, the board, you should deny it because it's incomplete, that was a complete surprise. But Let yes, Your Honor, we believe we're entitled to being vested. Let me ask you this. Um, so are you making two separate arguments that your application comes within the exception that applied to the ordinance prior to any change, and if not, that a complete prohibition of uh, off-premises signs is is unlawful? I do believe a complete prohibition of off-premise signs is unlawful uh, based on the case law we stated from the Supreme Court. So you're arguing both we were timely, we are entitled to exemption, but if not, then the complete prohibition of off-premises signs is, is unlawful? Correct. Now. Uh, again, you don't have to get to that, the latter question if you resolve this on the grounds that we were entitled to the exemption. Let's talk about that then. So the exemption, I think we're all familiar going down highways where we see signs advertising convenience stores, fast foods, hotels, gas stations on the exits or on the roadway itself, and I think those are DOT signs, is that correct? The blue signs? Yes. Yes, the blue signs. Okay, 
is it the argument that that's what the exemption covers are those types of signs? The town's, the town staff's position at the beginning was the NCDOT signs fell under the exemption there. And that's the only ones that do? That, and at the time, and the town is like the paper in the wind flip-flopping with various fluctuating positions as we've moved through this, which shows it, at best we have some ambiguity. But at the time of February 2021, based on that determination was the first thing I put up, they said there were two signs that qualify under this exemption, DOT install signs and existing billboards. Now they don't even talk about existing billboards. Well, let's, let, let's look at that then. Do you, do you have any evidence that the town had approved off-premises signs under the ordinance prior to the amendment? We didn't get into whether there was a, a precedent from in the past, Your Honor. We so the consistency of the application of the ordinance is what I'm trying to get to. The town didn't offer up the consistent, consistency, therefore we didn't rebut the, an offer that this has been the consistent interpretation. So we didn't offer that up. We are just simply offering up that when you look at this language in the prohibition is dealing with off-premise commercial advertising signs, e.g. billboards, the exception would have to fall under that family, meaning the exception would also have to be a, a billboard, albeit limited. In this case, it has to be along a federal aid primary highway. It's like saying if I was going to pro prohibit bananas, but those that are yellow are, are exempt, then both the exemption and the prohibition are bananas. The same thing if you were said, we're not gonna allow chickens unless they're household pets. Both, you'd both be dealing with chickens. That's one of the main problems with the town's structural argument here about the plain language, is that NCDOT sign is not an off-premise commercial advertising sign, nor is a church sign that you see in the right-of-way that advertises a, a bingo at the church or a church service. That's not an off-premise commercial advertising sign. My client's sign would be an off-premise commercial advertising sign that fell within the federal highway system subject to the HBA. As you all may know, the Highway Beautification Act sort of rose out of this idea of regulating billboards. In fact, 23 USC 131D, which is cited in the brief, is this whole section where the federal government says, through the Highway Beautification Act, states you must control these billboards and enter into an agreement with us to control these billboards. Does DOT still issue their permits for these uh, roadside signs, off-premises? Are, are you talking about the blue signs, logo signs? No, no, the ones they used to actually issue a, a license plate from the DOT that you would have to renew periodically. Oh yeah, you have you have a name tag, you would get a state permit. Yes, my sign would fall under this, uh, those signs regulated by the Department of Transportation. So is that issue before us now or, or is this threshold to doing that? This is a threshold. The DOT regulations are set up that you have to come in with a local permit first. Okay. And we're not arguing, this is not a case of preemption. This is not uh, Lamar versus Stanley County. Th this is not a preemption case. This is the local law says what it is um, and what it says and what it said at the time was this is the exception we make for off-premise commercial advertising signs along the federal aid primary highway system. 
And as Your Honor knows from the Lambeth versus Town of Curie Beach case, which Your, Your Honor authored, um, in addition, the case we cite of Frazier versus Town of Blowing Rock, when the government goes and changes the rules midstream during the process of an appeal, that is a good evidence that's, that the property owner was right. And uh, we cite those in, the, in our brief. How do you re respond to their, um, their proposition that this would basically allow the exception to swallow the rule that billboards are prohibited and we'd have over 300,000 feet of road frontage that automatically will always fall within this exception? That's a great question. So the absurdity doctrine, is, as we've laid out in our brief, is a, is a slippery slope. Uh, it, it, it invites the court to entertain its own judicial or personal preferences over what the legislature uh, has put in writing. And uh, we cite to a, uh, Justice Scalia uh, um, textbook about that. The, the reality of it is there's nothing absurd about allowing signs along major roads. The state of North Carolina has, in fact, through our General Assembly for 50 years now, because that North Carolina Outdoor Advertising Control Act has been on the books since the late 60s. Since that time, our General Assembly, so what we all, who we all elect to represent us in Raleigh, has said in the act that billboards are a legitimate commercial use of property. Legitimate. And so the state says it's legitimate. They can and should exist, that they promote businesses. So there's nothing absurd about the town saying, well, we agree with that. Um, and so it, but it is a slippery slope to use this absurdity doctrine to override what we believe is plain language. The absurdity doctrine should only be used when there's a technical or ministerial error that's apparent on its face. I've never seen, Judge Murphy, this doctrine be implied in the free use of land concept to override the principle that if there's an ambiguity, you construe it in favor of the property owner. I've never seen a case in my 30 plus years where the absurdity doctrine took primacy over that principle of, of law. Um, and so but we do, are. Do we, and I see you cited humble oil in your brief, do we, do we uh, view these restrictions narrowly and do we strictly construe them? Yes, sir. Under humble oil? Uh, under Morse Communication, City of Bessemer, Miss City, and Your Honor, I could sit here and tell all these folks in the audience I can spend all day talking about all these cases that we've had from our jurisprudence, many of which that you authored, that honors this principle that it's the duty of the government to write clear law. And if they fail to do that duty and there's ambiguities, that's in favor of the property owner. The government does not get a free pass on the rule of law. The government has a responsibility to make it clear. And there's a recent billboard case out of Clemens, Village of Clemens, Visible Outdoor versus Village of Clemens, where then Judge Dietz says the very same thing that I'm saying, is that the, the government has a responsibility to its citizens to make its law clear. You know, fair notice principles is one of the bedrocks of our rule of law. To tell people what the law is, and if it's ambiguous, we're going to construe it in favor of the property owner. And, and quite frankly, that law has been out there for almost a century. And to have the government in this case basically say, 
we got confusing law, we're going to change it, show up at the zoning board hearing and tell the zoning folks this application's not even complete, so they wouldn't be entitled to the protections of the old law, all the while not telling my folks they're changing the law. There's something wrong with that. And if you look at the Moore's communication case, the city of Bessemer City case, Justice Martin, in that opinion, says the zoning administrator you can infer is trying to do an aha moment against the property owner. That was a billboard case. And it was the responsibility, Justice Martin said, it's the responsibility of a zoning board to protect the property owner from abuses of narrow interpretations made by staff. The zoning board, if you've read the transcript, the zoning board was all over the place, but basically was saying, these are our local ordinances and we're gonna, we're gonna protect these local ordinances, not to protect the property owner. Even though I stood up in front of them and said, look, you're changing the law as you've changed the law because you're saying, your town is saying it's confusing. So your responsibility as a board when faced with that is to say, you shall get through the gate and be able to use your property, but prospectively we have changed the law so it will apply prospectively to others. That's what should have happened, not to hunker down and say, well, the law's confusing, but we're still going to deny this permit. That's not the way it should work. And in fact, I think the General Assembly in 6-21.7, the attorney's fee statute, has that statute as a remedial statute for a reason. Property owners going up against government, it's an uphill climb. We all know that. It's never going to be a level playing field. But that's okay, because we have the law to protect us. And that statute being a remedial one that allows for attorney's fees when there are abuses of authority, would be, I believe, applicable, and this should be the poster child for the application of that statute awarding attorney's fees. Let me backtrack a little bit. You're here on an appeal from Judge Crosswhite's order, is where we are right now. I am. And let's back up a little bit about the standard of review for Judge Crosswhite and what is before our court, too. So you have basically a whole record test and then we have an arbitrary and capricious standard, correct? We have a de novo test, on a de novo review based on questions of law. In this right. case, the facts are not in dispute in this case. It is really, what is that exception? What does that exception mean? That's a question of and, law. And how do you construe it? How do you construe it? Correct. It's really not a difference in the facts kind of thing. It is literally, this is a question of law type. So you're saying the standard review is strictly de novo? It is de novo. Correct. And, and, you know, when you look at the lower court's opinion, um, and it's very short, it basically says you're, demit, you're dismissed, now leave, uh, without much deliberative process. But that's okay, because the courts tell us, and I've cited multiple cases that say, because it's a de novo review, the question is really what happened at the zoning board hearing, not what happened in front of Judge Crosswhite, and how do we read to this ordinance? And it's de novo. We don't need to remand it back to the trial court, even though that order was very short. Just for some clarity's sake, just so I make sure I'm understanding your, your argument and what you're asking for. How would you ask us, as a matter of law, to interpret that ordinance? Distinctly? All right. Um, structurally, the only plain way to interpret it is when you have a general band like this, and it starts off with off-premise commercial signs are not allowed, basically, right? 
except those, and you have to in the parenthetical say, well, what are those? Those are the off-premise commercial advertising signs because an exception withdraws from the general from its application. And in this case, the allowance has to be off-premise it has to be an off-premise commercial advertising sign. It's in this case limited because it has to be uh, along the federal aid primary system and subject to the HBA standards. And there are standards. We have the regulations prompted by this federal state agreement where there are regulations about height and size and all that. So going back to my earlier question about the state permit, and you're saying the local permits threshold to go there, right? In order to get to the state, we have to have a local permit. Okay, so it's the state's responsibility to determine height, weight, distance, setbacks, those kind of things, right? Ultimately, yes, because that this is subject to the HBA, and in our state, when it comes to administering the HBA, that is a state DOT function, correct? Okay, so do you feel like that the town overstepped? in trying to overlook and supplanted the DOT's role? The town overstepped by not applying the plain language of exemption. We do believe that any sign erected in the, in the, in the uh, um, town by the code is required to apply for a permit. In that permit review, the administrator looks at the applicable law asks the question, is it clear or is it ambiguous, and then applies it. We believe the administrator applied this in error against us, and the zoning board affirmed that. So even if it was ambiguous, that basically the blue signs, as we call them, the DOT marker signs announcing certain businesses or other signs pre-existing, the, the, the zoning board would have the duty to, uh, to construe that in your favor, in your client's favor? The, the duty. Morris Communications says very plainly the responsibility is to avoid narrow interpretations from staff, to avoid abuses like this happened in this case. So when it, you went before the town board, you were counsel all through this, is that correct? Yes, I'm sir. Seeing, I'm seeing your name all the way through on the documents. So when you got to the town, you made this argument, I, I presume, right? Yes, yes, sir. I told them, and, and the Morse communication case is actually an exhibit in the record. Yeah. I stood up there. These are not, these are folks that get trained by the Institute of Government. They, they are, you know, they are good folks, okay? But they're not judges. And uh, in this case, I believe they, they applied their own personal preferences. When we sat there and we go, look, here's the evidence where the government, your staff, is changing the law because even they admit it's confusing. I don't think it's confusing. I think it says what it says. But even they say it's confusing. So they, the town, would have to argue that that lane clearly prohibits a billboard along the federal aid primary highway. That's the only way for the government to win is that exception would have to clearly not apply. And so when they admit that we're changing the law because it's confusing, and I go up there, Morse Communication directs you to help us as a matter of your responsibility, as a matter of your rule of law, the way you're supposed to apply it to us, you need to do that. Instead, they just came up with additional reasons to turn us down. Um, 
And so we are definitely relying on the fact that this is plain language and that an NCDOT logo sign, a church sign, the typical directional signs, these tiny little signs you see in the right-of-way, those are not billboards. Those are not off-premise commercial advertising signs. Well, aren't the, aren't the blue signs that say there's a McDonald's every other exit, aren't those off-premise commercial advertising signs? Aren't those purchases advertisements from the state? Those are governmental signs. The, the state doesn't even regulate it as billboards. If you went to the state regulations, they don't regulate themselves. They, they get a free ride. Those are not traditional billboards. The, from the town's perspective, what I have on the screen, which is record page 644, the town already had regulated DOT signs as a separate thing from billboards. And so they knew it to be a separate thing, but yet they're somehow saying, well, that thing falls within the off-premise commercial advertising sign category, which is just patently false. Um, and, and, and I will say real quickly that the, uh, you know, this fluctuating paper in the wind proposition is when they start out with, well, it's NCDOT signs or existing billboards. They move from that to not even argue about existing billboards. Then, then they moved into, well, there's this case, Visual Outdoor, which is on point. It's apples to apples. And we say, no, it's not. You never argued that case until you got to this court. First off, it must be an epiphany. But that case has a different set of words and structure in the ordinance. And it's important. We all know it's important how words are put into statutes and what the words that are being used are. And the words in the visual outdoor case are much different than the words that we have here. Uh, and at the end of the day, guess what? That court got a standard wrong of review. They relied on a line of cases dealing with deferential treatment when it came to ambiguities. And when we got to the Supreme Court in Morris Communications, Judge Tyson, that was me too, I was at that case, we were dealing with the fact that this court in Morris Communications had relied on that deferential line below, and we went up to the Supreme Court on a PDR as to what is the standard of review, should it be deferential, and the court said no based on long-standing Supreme Court principles, as well as principles from this court. Um, you, I, I, you have I, about four minutes left. I've, I'll reserve the rest of my time. Thank you. Thank you. Mr. Bader. Good morning, Your Honor, and may it please the court. Stephen Bader from Cranfield, Sumner, and Raleigh, here on behalf of the town of Mooresville. <clears throat> to, to frame this, really the main issue here before this court on de novo review is what does this exemption in the ordinance mean? So let, let me narrow the issue a little bit. So do you agree that the issue is that the standard review here is de novo? Yes, Your Honor. And there's no, dis no factual disputes? It, the record is what it is? Correct, Your Honor. Okay. All right. So when we look at what the case law says, even as re recent as visible properties from last year, this court in interpreting the ordinance is, lurking, is looking to effectuate the intent of the ordinance. What did the town intend when they enacted this ordinance? And when you look at the plain language of the exception, refers to signs that are part of the federal aid primary system and subject to the requirements of the Highway Beautification Act. That statute sets out, it pro 
acts as a prohibition against signs within 660 feet of federal aid highways and then provides exceptions for five different types of billboards. One of those being directional and official signs, which the town interpreted to that the exception to refer to those particular signs set out by federal statute. And I think that goes to- You would refer to those as traffic signs or warning signs, speed limit sign, directional sign. And free coffee signs, Your Honor. <laughs> but yes, yes, I, th I think that's a fair you know, umbrella characterization of them. And well, why, why would we limit our, our scope of looking at 23 USC 131 to just part C with these five exceptions and not move on to these exceptions in D that are also regulated by the Highway Beautification Act, are they not? They are, Your Honor, but I think to your question, getting back to the intent, it, it gets to your earlier observation, which is you have an exception that effectively swallows the prohibition. You've got a town taking a specific act by ordinance to say, we are going to restrict billboards and off-premises signs in our town, which they're allowed to do. We're going to carve out this exception for what federal law requires. So let me, let me follow up on that, because I asked our co-counsel the same question. Um, is a town free to outlaw or prohibit a lawful use across the board? Well, I, I want to stay with you on your question, Your Honor, and I, I heard lawful use. I'm not, I'm not in a position to say that a town can prohibit a well, lawful use. Well, for example, use we've seen, you know, adult entertainment. We've seen mobile homes. We've seen towns move to restrict those types of activities severely. In some cases, to outlaw them. And there's a lot of cases that says if you have a lawful use, then your zoning ordinance must account for and allow for that lawful use in some places. That's my question. Uh, Your Honor, I think, I, I don't disagree with any of the, the propositions within the question. And I think what, what the town of Mooresville intended to do here, which is clear, is to say we don't want, we don't want billboards and off-premises signs within this town. Well, we don't want adult entertainment or mobile homes either. But uh, it comes down to the point that a property owner who wants to engage in a lawful use, maybe they don't want cigarette sales, but you can't prohibit them. You can't prohibit adult entertainment, you can't prohibit mobile homes, and you can't prohibit billboards. I. I don't disagree with those with those broader propositions, Your Honor. I, I certainly cannot. So where are they accommodating this lawful use within the town limits of, of, of your client? Uh, I can't go through the, the, the entire ordinance, Your Honor. What I can say is that as it pertains to this particular type of signage referring to off-premises, they have made the decision to prohibit those. Even though state law allows it and federal law allows it? I, I, I'm not certain I... I, I agree with that proposition, Your Honor, but I think that's beyond the issues that are before this court. I well, no, I mean, I think if, you, that if, if, if you are standing up and saying my client can outlaw a lawful use and not prohibit it to occur anywhere within our city limits, I just want some justification for that because we've got a lot of cases that said 
no matter what their personal preferences is on how they view a use, they've got to allow it. I, I, I'm struggling to some degree with some of the broader aspects of your question, Your Honor, and that's because I, I agree with them at a fundamental level, but I think to, your, to the earlier observation that does not prohibit these local towns and municipalities from regulating property usage in certain ways, and that's what they have elected to do in this case. They said if it's off-premises and it fits within this definition of a billboard, it is, it is prohibited. And I, I believe they are allowed to do that under federal law, under, the, under this state's agreement with the federal government, and as well as the, and I'm sorry, Your Honor, looking at my notes, the North Carolina Outdoor Advertising Control Act, which also gives some of that local authority back to the towns. But I do want to, in, in talking about the intent here, discuss this visual outdoor advertising case versus the city of Sanford. It is the only case that I could find uh, in my research that really speaks to an ordinance like this. And in looking at it, it, it certainly appears to be a very similar ordinance to what we're dealing with here. Reading verbatim what it says is that the ordinance prohibited advertising signs in all zoning districts except those which are located along federal aid primary highways or interstate highways for which sign compensation is regulated by state and federal law. And in that instance, the board, the board adopted an interpretation entirely consistent with what Mooresville did in this case and said what that exception refers to is the, the five signs that are allowed under federal law, paren C of the Highway Beautification Act. The argument advanced by the petitioner in that case was very similar, if not identical, to the argument here, which is no, the exception really refers to any signage that would fall within parens D and otherwise comply with the requirements of the federal statute. And this court, um, conducting a de novo, de novo review, disagreed with that, said that, the, that in looking to effectuate the intent of the ordinance, the town's uh, application, its reading was correct. And that was on a de novo standard. The last full paragraph of that opinion on page two Right before it gets into page three, it is unpublished, as is noted in the briefing. The court writes that upon de novo review of the record, we do not believe the board's interpretation of the ordinance to be an error of law. And I think that, that, that what's clear from, the, from that case, in this case, is that you've got a, a, a town attempting to limit the billboard usage in its town to what federal law specifically allows. We think it is an apples-to-apples apples match. I think a couple Let's other... Let's assume that we're not persuaded by that reason uh, in the unpublished opinion. Don't find it particularly persuasive. How do you get me there on your own? Well, I, I, I would get you there hopefully a couple different ways. I think, first of all, you do go back to clearly the intent of this ordinance is to restrict billboards or off-premises signs. There's no other reason why the town would enact that and then carve out an exception that recognizes we're still going to comply with what federal law says. Otherwise, they would zone it entirely differently. I think that's why would you need to carve out an exception to say we're going to follow federal law? I, I don't understand that. Why do you say we're going to ban everything except for what we can't ban? Why would you need an exception to say that you're going to follow the Constitution and, and federal preemption? And, and Judge Murphy, I... I didn't write the law, so I'd be, I'd be reticent to 
you know, argue as to why the town did it in that particular fashion. But I don't think there's anything that would say it would be improper to do it that way either. It would be presumably to give notice to those that read the ordinance what this town, how this town is regulating billboards. And that would be uh, at least one explanation for why they would do it that way. So let's talk about the analogy to, to cigarette sales. You gotta be over 18. You can't sell them within a certain distance of a school. Go all the way down, up and down, whatever restrictions you want. Can they say, we're not gonna allow cigarette sales in our city limits period? I don't know the answer to that, that question, Judge. It's a lawful use. It's a lawful enterprise. Can a town ban a lawful enterprise? The, uh, my impression of that question would be, no, a town cannot, but... Don't the precedents say, even using my examples of adult entertainment or mobile homes, that their, their zoning has to allow that use somewhere within their municipal limits? I, I believe that's correct, Your Honor, but that, that's not the same thing as the signage along federal aid highways now, he's Which, already said that he's got to go to the state and get the permit. He's got to comply with all of the federal law and the state law. This is a mother may I here to get there, right? Correct. So can the town outlaw a lawful use? I, I don't believe the town can outlaw lawful use, but I want to make it clear the town's position here that restricting off-premises signs and billboards is something that the town is allowed to do via the state's agreement with the federal government. And, and it's, it's uh, the fact that, that our North Carolina statute governing this does not preempt local regulation. How, how does a, a private property owner's property rights enter into this? Wouldn't, that, wouldn't this be, in, in fact, a taking if they prohibited all use? I, I don't believe so, Your Honor. I think, I think that's a little bit beyond the scope of the issues that are before this court. Well, I mean, we have we have case law uh, from the Supreme Court that says if a, if a town or governmental authority prohibits all beneficial use of a property, that's a taking. I, I don't disagree with that either, Your Honor, but I think to go back to your earlier point, there could be restrictions on adult entertainment, well, agree. sales, liquor sales, You can't sell cigarettes to someone at 18. You can't sell them within a half a mile of a school or a church or all the things we see on alcohol and any kind of activity the government wants to regulate. But you do agree there's a difference between regulating and outlawing. Certainly, certainly. But as- so where do we draw that line? Well, and I, and, I, and I appreciate your honor wrestling with these questions with me, but I think as we, we look at billboards and off-premises signs for what they are and how they are regulated and how they are regulated by federal law, by state law, with both of those laws allowing regulation at the local level and allowing the kind of regulation that says, we are not going to allow billboards or off-premises signs in our town subject to what we are required to allow under the HBA. That, I, I believe that that is permitted and that is what Mooresville did in this case. So uh, council cited the Clemens case and the Morris Communications case from the Supreme Court, we're obviously bound by those precedents as well. Certainly. We're bound by the humble oil precedent to, to 
review zoning restrictions uh, restrictively, narrowly. So help us get through to uphold, to affirm uh, Judge Crosswhite in light of those mandates that we're under from the Supreme Court. I think as you look at both of those cases, Visible Properties and Morris, you have to drill down on what the ordinances in those cases said and how those courts looked at them. And when you start with Visible Properties written by then Judge Dietz, right off the bat, he talks about a, his term dizzying, a dizzying amount of cross-referencing between different aspects of this ordinance to try to, turn, to try to determine if a digital billboard was allowed. He goes out of his way to say it says this one place, this somewhere else, this somewhere else, and this somewhere else, okay? Ultimately, what he says is what we're trying to do is harmonize the different provisions of that ordinance, and when we do that, we come to a result that's ambiguous. And if it's ambiguous, it's construed in favor of the property owner. Don't disagree with any of that as a legal principle, but this case doesn't require any amounts of cross-referencing or dizzying, uh, looking at different aspects of the ordinance. It's simply this one exception with that reference to, to federal statute be, and an interpretation here at least argued by the property owner that would make the exception swallow the prohibition. When you look at the Morris decision, that case, the dispute related to how work, the term work was defined in an ordinance that was said a permit would expire if work was not commenced within six months of issuance. Okay. And the town took the position that work referred to construction, you know, swinging hammers, boots on the ground, and not any of the other, you know, paperwork, administrative tasks necessary to move the subject billboard. And the record evidence in that case is a planning director saying something to the effect of, you know, construction, earth movement, meaning work, that's my definition, and my definition alone, and then conceding in cross-examination um, that other things that had to be done would also amount to work in order for the sign to get moved. But when you look at the second to last paragraph of the Morris decision, when it really gets to the holding, the Supreme Court writes, the holding is limited to the unusual facts of this case involving an overly restrictive application of a vague ordinance to a sign relocation mandated by a DOT project. We do not have a, a, a dispute here that centers on how one particular term is defined. What we have is a clear prohibition with an exception and at least some guidance from this court as to how a very similar exception would be worded. So when this court is at least looking to persuasive authority for how similar ordinances are construed, the town would maintain that visual outdoor advertising is really the best guidance and while these other cases certainly state the law and state broader principles at play here, when you come down to the actual construction of the ordinance, they're distinct, just given the issues at play. Um, One question that, that I just want to make sure when we're talking about prohibition exceptions. How much of the road frontage in Mooresville is part of the federal aid primary system? We're talking, you, you throw around the number over 300,000 feet of road frontage. What's the total road frontage in, in Mooresville? I don't know the total road frontage in Mooresville. What I know the record evidence said was you had 311,413 linear feet 
of federal aid, primary highways, and I believe that that does not include I-77. But if it does, I'll stand corrected based on how that evidence came in at the hearing. But how are we supposed to, if I'm looking at is this an exception, if that's only 5% of the road frontage in the town, then that seems like a pretty limited exception. Um, you still have 95% where it's not allowed to be. So we're just setting up this 5% where you can have these billboards. I, I guess that, that's part of my struggle here is this exception, if interpreted how they want, doesn't mean that it swallows the rule about not having billboards. It just means along the highway. Right? Because they still be prohibited under this exception from the regular surface streets, everywhere like that. That's not part of the federal aid primary system, right? I think that's true, but I'd offer a, a couple caveats. I think yeah. the way that the evidence came in about the 311,000, the presentation wasn't that, the, the tenor of it wasn't this is 5% of the roads. The tenor was this is a pretty significant chunk of the roadways and in Mooresville and uh, on top of that I don't I don't know and I don't think there's there's record evidence as to what what percentage of the roads would would fall within would be considered federal aid primary highways and what do not I, I don't think we know that but I don't think that would you at least concede that if it's an interstate highway or has a North Carolina designation number probably they would be yes yes so then it comes to whether or not a city street would be a state-maintained road as opposed to maybe a, a purely a city-maintained road, right? I think that's correct, just strictly as to how the exception could potentially control placement of a billboard. But just, just to draw home the last points on intent that I just, I just want to make sure that I touch on, um, you know, the, the ordinance itself talks about, like, like many of these ordinances do, the need for aesthetics, uniformity, uh, things of that nature. That would be consistent with the town taking the position that we don't want billboards other than what federal statute requires. I mean, otherwise, and that was the observation that we've already touched on, you've got 311,000 plus linear feet that would seem to be subject to any billboard so long as they're otherwise compliant with parens D. And at least that was not what the town intended in enacting the ordinance. It's not consistent with um, how this court has looked at the issue in visual outdoors. Take, taking that, that string, and, and I think the string that Judge Tyson's thrown out about if a, a full ban would be unlawful. Let, let's assume that we decided a full ban would be unlawful and their intent was to have a full ban other than these items in C. What do we do if the intent in passing the ordinance was an unlawful intent? Well, I, I think that is, I appreciate where your honor is going with that. I think that's beyond the, the issues in this case, beyond what's before this court, and I'm. Well, wouldn't an unlawful intent make any decision based off of that arbitrary and capricious? I, I think that that argument could be made. I think the, the primary response I have, and it's jumping head just a touch, is that the only authority on this point, although unpublished, would be the visual properties case, which says that a functionally 
similar ordinance is clear and in fact allows a town to uh, restrict billboards other than what's required by federal statute. So I don't think you get that far given that what the town was working off of, at least what was available, was one unpublished decision consistent with how they were applying their ordinance. Mr. Bader, if the town of, of uh, Mooresville, if they substituted the words single family house for off premises commercial sign, and they would attempt to ban the construction of a single family house. Could, could they justify that ban? I, I, I would assume they could not. Okay, so if you've got a legitimate use, of pro a lawful use of property, how can they pick and choose which lawful uses of property they contend they can ban and the ones that you agree they cannot? Your Honor, I think, I think the best I, I can answer that question is to refer the court back to federal statute, this state's agreement with the federal government, and this state's signage act, all of which allow and give, lo give local governments the ability to impose restrictions when it to comes regulate. to regulate. Right. Not to outlaw. I, I agree with that, but I think within that, they can restrict and say, we are going to restrict billboards and off-premises signs. I, I, I believe that is the case. To the point they're outlawing them. Correct, subject to what is otherwise required by the Highway Beautification Act. So they can pick and choose lawful uses that they can ban, but if it, if it was a quote single family house, that there would be an absolute uproar that you couldn't build a, semi, a single family house in Mooresville. I'm, I'm just trying to, to, to understand how they could uphold one and clearly cannot uphold the other. Well, I, I don't think they're picking and choosing anything. They are taking actions that federal statute and our state's agreement with the federal government allow them to do. So I, I, I guess I don't view it as they're just pulling something out of thin air. They are looking at what the law allows them to do and operating consistent with that, which allows them to be more restrictive. Do you believe that the private property rights under the Constitution also would restrict their latitude? I didn't hear the last part of your question, Your Honor. Do you also believe that the protection of private property rights under the Constitution would also restrict their latitude? I'm not, I, I'm not sure I'm prepared to answer that question only because I don't want to be misleading or inaccurate in my position. I don't believe that this case. Justice Holmes said in Pennsylvania Cole versus Mahon in 1922, that regulation that goes too far that can, can constitute a taking. That's been federal constitutional law for over a hundred years. So when does regulation go so far here that is a ban regulation that goes too far your honor i think i think your question is is beyond the scope of what we're dealing with in this case i don't i don't you've got a private property owner that wants to engage in a lawful use on their private property and they're attempting to comply 
with a regulatory scheme or framework that your, that your client has put into place, which they've got the right to do. But at some point, no, 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 no is not the answer. Your Honor, all I can say is that the issue before this court is how that statute and the exception should be interpreted. And isn't it no, 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 no? I'm not certain I, I, I track with the question other than that our position remains that that- Under the, under the statute today, under your ordinance today, yeah. is a private property owner within the city limits allowed to do an off-premises sign? I believe the answer to that question is no, but I think that's beyond the issue before the court. Well, they've made several alternative arguments. One is they're allowed under the ordinance prior to the change, right? Correct. And then if that's not true, then a total ban is unlawful. That's the two arguments they've made. Yes. So explain to me why a total ban is lawful. Your Honor, I, I can't answer that question any different than I've answered it, which is that the, the Highway Beautification Act tells the states to regulate. Our state did that and entered into an agreement with the federal government to, to employ and enforce those standards. That allows towns to be more restrictive in their signage. To the point of an out, to the point of a ban. I believe that's correct, Your Honor. I want to use just the last three minutes here to touch on. Let me ask you one question before yeah. you wrap up. I, I just find the, the exception, you know, appears on record page 647 as it was before. When was that ordinance implemented? When did it become the lawful ordinance of the town? I, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not sure, Your Honor. I'm not sure. I, I hope that, that that does show up in the record, but I don't have that information offhand. Do you concede that this application is what prompted the planning board or staff to seek to change, to make the law more restrictive? I don't have any firsthand information. Well, cannot, let's look at the I, timeline. I well, I, can, I can't dispute what, what the record evidence that Council's put up shows. I'm, I was not privy to those town changes, so I, I, everything that he has put up is, is accurate record evidence as to what the town was doing. So I can't stand up and say that there were other reasons that I'm aware of for, for why they did what they did. Um, and to the, to the last point here, which is really twofold, and I think I'll start with the, with the attorney's fees issue, okay? There's six, uh, North Carolina General Statute 6-21.7 says that this court shall award fees if a town violated a statute or case law, case law setting forth unambiguous limits on its authority. And then unambiguous goes on to be defined as that the limits of authority are not reasonably susceptible to multiple constructions. I, I, would, I would say to this court that the only authority, be it unpublished, on this particular issue is visual outdoors. So certainly the record evidence wouldn't support a finding of the town um, doing anything that's un unambiguously contrary to its authority. If anything, the record evidence would show to the contrary. On top of that, when you look at visible properties in Morris, the two cases primarily relied upon by Sam's Commercial, both of those cases come out effectively saying that this particular ordinance can be construed in a way that's ambiguous and for that reason 
we come out in favor of the property owner. And I think that's really the, the at least certainly one of the arguments made here for Sam's Commercial's position is that to the extent that that's unclear, it should, be, it should come out in their favor. The only, the only, um, and the only last comment I want to make just deals with the remand, which is if this court is inclined to remand this matter, it shouldn't be with a directive that this billboard be approved. It should be with a directive that the application be considered, interpreting the ordinance, however this court um, decides that it would be interpreted upon de novo review. I, I don't want to really belabor this point, but this was an application that did not include any particular parameters as far as what sign was going to be put up. So to direct it back to the town to say approve this without having at least the parameters of what's to be considered going through the zoning um, process would seem to be problematic for a lot of reasons. So at minimum, if this court is inclined to reverse, attorney's fees should not be awarded. This should go back to the Zoning Commission to allow a completed application to be submitted and considered, consistent with an interpretation of that statute um, that adopted by this court. One, one last question. Um, if the applicant complies with state law in terms of the requirements of height, size, construction materials, all the way down. Can Morrisville, can Morrisville, excuse me, can Morrisville extend or require more than the state? I, I'm, I'm not sure I, I know the answer to that question. I'm not sure it's strictly before this court. What I know is that, and I, I'm just so going to refer the, to my the, notes. The second part of my question would be, would that be a basis for them to say the application was incomplete because they would still have to comply with the state standards once the permit was issued? I, I don't think so, but I don't want to say anything inaccurate. I mean, I think that, if anything, that gets back to my point about why it should go back for that initial application, and then if that's approved, it would get to the DOT level, as has been discussed. Thank, Thank you. you very much. Thank you. Rebuttal? Yes, uh, I have about a handful of points. Um, by statute, 160D-1402, when a permit is wrongfully denied, the directive from our General Assembly is for this court, if you find so fine, to direct that a permit be issued. There is no such thing as a remand to get a second bite of the apple. When they say they don't know what the sign is, this is a copy here on uh, record page 36. This is attached to the Board of Adjustment order. Is a is a structural engineering drawings of the sign. Suggests they don't know what it is. And there's testimony during the Board of Adjustment record of how big it is, uh, you know, how tall it is and all that. So that's just a red herring. The, um, this idea that the, the ban issue is not before the court, it's cause, uh, cause of action three of our petition uh, and it's been briefed by us. Uh, that they can regulate, they can't ban. The effect of saying billboards are not allowed period is a ban and it's unlawful. We, and we rely on state law, state constitutional law. Government is not omnipotent in this state. They must follow our constitution. They must follow the directives of our General Assembly. We believe they can't ban. That is an alternative argument that we've made. To suggest that visual applies and it's so clear 
that visual applies. Remember that one of the reasons the zoning board denied us the permit is they said we don't understand what an FAP sign means. That was the third reason. We don't know what they mean by FAP signs. These are the words that the town chose to use, and you have the zoning board saying, I don't know what this means. When Judge Dietz wrote his opinion in the Visible Outdoor case, one aspect of that case is what does an EMC mean, an electronic message center sign? The Village of Clemens didn't define it. The court said, Judge Dietz said, we can't enforce this provision. If you don't know what it is and we don't know what it is and the common person on the street doesn't know what it is, we're not going to enforce it. And so for the zoning board to admit, I don't know what an FAP sign means, squarely fits within Judge Dietz's point that it's up to the government to write clear law. If they can't do it, then you err at the side of the free use of land. The, the visual case, again, is so distinguishable. It keeps saying it's apples to apples. We've briefed it. That case is nowhere close in terms of the words and structure of that ordinance that was in the visual outdoor case. Being an unpublished opinion, by the way, it was a deferential standard given to the government in this case, which is clearly wrong as a matter of law. Are you arguing that they made the same mistake there that this court made in, in Morris Communications? Yeah, they did not err. They didn't look to see is it a narrow restriction. Instead, the court allowed deference to be given to the staff to give a narrow uh, interpretation. But remember, Judge Tyson, the wording there is so much different because you had a ban in a different section of billboards, and then you had another section of the code that they had to harmonize with. All of what we've got in this topic is right there. It's all baked in together. So again, the plain language says, we're going to generally ban off-premise commercial advertising signs, except those along the federal aid primary. And this argument about swallowing the prohibition there are no facts that the board found. There's no facts there in the record to suggest it. Judge Murphy, you hit it on the head. Well, how many roads are there in the town? What are we talking about? The town is basically using absurdity and this fear-mongering as a way to avoid the plain language. Whose responsibility was to show absurdity? It was the town. So why didn't they tell us how many roads they have in the town? Why didn't they point out to the zoning board, well, this wouldn't apply to city streets? They didn't. They tried to fearmonger by saying, well, man, it'll swallow the rule here. It doesn't swallow the rule. And at the end of the day, absurdity cannot be used to deny the free use of land in, in our state. And period. One more question. I know I think we're even over your time, but is it your position that the plain language interpreting this and subject to requirements of the Highway Beautification Act doesn't limit it to C, it's also inclusive of D? Yes, it's definitely D. Uh, and, and the visual court got it wrong because of their narrow construction, but at the end of the day, D is there. That's the whole premise of the state outdoor advertising regulation that's been prompted by the HBA. Billboards is the thing when we talk about HBA. And at the end of the day, the attorney's fees that we're asking for is we have a plain language uh, ordinance that they have ignored and violated, and they wanted to change it to who do us. And secondly, folks, when I sit up there and go, Morse communications is the law. So if it's ambiguous, we should win. 
The statute of attorney's fees is meant to level the playing field to say to government zoning boards, hey guys, if we think it's ambiguous, you're gonna have to let them in and get their permit. If you wanna change it, apply it prospectively. But if you sit here for three years and fight it, and we incur thousands and thousands of dollars of attorney's fees, the General Assembly said, we're gonna level that playing field and allow for attorney's fees because it's unambiguous that the rule of construction in our state is free use of land, free use of land. So what would you have the court to do? Your Honor, I would like for this court to reverse the trial court and uh, remand with an order to have the permit issued. I would like this court to award our attorney's fees for the period of time, not only including up until the trial court, but what we have incurred on appeal. And we have pointed out in our brief why this statute is a remedial statute that is meant to level the playing field for property owners. And to cut it off at the trial court stage, I believe is beyond, or um, contrary to the intent of the General Assembly for creating this. So we would like our permit and we would like our attorney's fees. Thank, thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Good arguments. Thank you both. All right. Thank you. We'll give counsel a few moments to clear, and um, the courts decided to go ahead and proceed with the third argument. So we would ask um, counsel to come on up. We'll give you a few minutes to get settled in. That's all right. I'm sorry. sorry. For this one. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> Here's mine. I'm sorry. <laughs> I moved it out of your way. <laughs> 